Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back, everybody, to The Basement Binge. And if you are new here, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Uh, anyway, sorry this episode is a little bit delayed. It's been quite a while since releasing the first ever Basement Binge monthly update. That was a lot of fun. Thanks. First off, thank you, everybody, for the positive reaction to that episode. That was a lot of fun for me to record and release. And in that, I promised how there would be a review of some movies of a particular studio coming as we work our way up to the 50th episode of The Basement Binge. And then I just got a little busy. I went out of town like super last minute. More on that later. And then work's been crazy. So it's just been a little bit delayed, but it's finally here. The Basement Binge review of Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, which I am really excited to talk about. Uh, Yeah, let me pull my two-minute timer up here, and I will get started. So... First segment of the Basement Binge is the two cents. This is two minutes of uninterrupted time, uh, spoiler-free, for me to just kind of give my knee-jerk reactions to this film. Um, And for those of you who have not seen it and want to avoid any spoilers, I'll let you know before any comment. The beginning of the show is always spoiler-free. So, two minutes. Ready, go. Okay, so the first ever Studio Ghibli film that I saw, first ever Hao Miyazaki film that I ever saw was Princess Mononoke. And that has like a huge uh, impact on your my perception of this uh, in a positive way. But uh, these films are phenomenal. And I'm sad that I was never exposed to them sooner um, in my adult life now because they're, they're really phenomenal. So anyway... Princess Mononoke just set the bar extremely high, and I could not wait to finally go and see more of Miyazaki's work and more Studio Ghibli films. Um, I was just so excited to start watching more. So I got some of the Blu-rays. I got the what I understood was the first How Miyazaki film and first Studio Ghibli film, which is neither of those things, but we'll get to that later. Um, anyway, so I sat down and finally watched the film like months and months and months later. Um, and immediately, all the things that I fell in love with from Princess Mononoke that is in part of Miyazaki's work, you know, beautiful images, incredible imagination, creativity, uh, really powerful world building and strong characters, especially a heroine, female characters, um, and their commitment and, and heroism um, and the tenacity they have, um, but also like the level of, of empathy, just like, like really strong characters um, that have a life and, and, you know, not just existing in a vacuum. Other things like the awesome soft humor that it actually makes me laugh a ton. Um, the hopeful but kind of heavy and strong message in the themes of it and great music, great sound design, all the things that are a part of, from what I understand, my two experiences now, uh, Miyazaki film. And it was phenomenal. And then on top of that, there was all these other things, you know, just independent of Miyazaki that I just normally like on my own. Um, and honestly, I didn't really think of whatever be associated with him, but a post-apocalyptic sci-fi film. Um, so just things that I love on their own already, adding to 
what I'm strongly coming to love with Hayao Miyazaki uh, just blew me out of the water. So I'm over two minutes here, but I'm going to keep going. Um, yeah, because this, this film was just like destined to be perfect for me. Um, and from the get-go, the film really is just beautiful. Um, this, more so than Princess Mononoke, I was just blown away by the talent of the animators and the artists. And oh my gosh, this film is just so visually beautiful. Um, it's stunning. Um, watching Nausicaa fly is just like awe-inspiring. I loved it. Um, and again, this is only my second Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli film, but I don't know anything else, especially visually, that's going to be able to beat my appreciation for this film. I mean, there's so many more to go, but it, I, w- I was blown away and I love the visuals of the film. I just keep thinking about the images in my head. Um, they're just beautiful. But on top of that, I just really, I love um, this one. So it, because the visuals add so much more to the story than just like a beautiful image to look at. I mean, that's definitely there, but it, the world that's created and how those visual images add into it elevate my respect for this film and my enjoyment of it even more um so yeah to stick to yeah, i guess three minutes now if you haven't seen this you should definitely watch it uh whether you've seen a howie miyazaki film or not if you haven't seen a studio ghibli or miyazaki film you definitely should watch this one i recommend starting with this one uh it's kind of like a soft introduction to miyazaki um it's amazing it's so much fun they're beautiful um they're strong films with powerful messages and just they're just amazing. I can't say enough good, but I'm trying to keep it spoiler free. So if you want to watch it, it's on HBO Max in the US or Netflix, I think everywhere else. Uh, either way, stream it, buy it, whatever. It's so amazing. It's definitely worth your time, even if you just enjoy like the incredible visuals that it is. So anyway, that's your two cents here that I totally blew the two minute timer out of the way. But on to the next segment that actually is kind of making a return. I realize this next segment, Live Up has not been a part of the podcast in a long time. And, you know, to be honest, just because I kind of forgot about it. But anyway, live up. What it is, 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 wow, that's wonderful English. When there's a film that I haven't seen before and I'm looking forward to seeing and seeing it for the podcast and reviewing it is my first time ever seeing it. Uh, live up is just kind of expressing what my expectations were going into this film before ever seeing it. And if it lived up to those expectations and what I think. So, after we're seeing Princess Mononoke, any film directed by Miyazaki, any Studio Ghibli film had a lot to live up to. I love Princess Mononoke. Can't wait to get to that review, but it had a lot to live up to, and I didn't think that anything was. Uh, my expectations for what type of film I would be watching when sitting down to watch a Miyazaki film were extremely high. And if I'm being honest, I lowered them a little bit, specifically for Nausicaa, just kind of from what I heard and understood, just people kind of saying, oh, you know, not that it's bad, but it's just not as strong as those other great works um, like Mononoke, Spirited Away, things like that. But specifically Mononoke, because that's the only one I've seen. Um, On top of that, I was under the impression that this was his directorial debut, which I realize it's not. He directed a loop in the third film. I mean, he directed some TV shows and some shorts before that, but specifically a film. This was his second film. Um... Anyway, so my expectations were a little bit low. They were a little bit weaker just because of those things. And holy moly, those expectations, you know, any expectation I could have set, just totally blown out of the water. Um, Surpassing my expectations of what I had for Princess Mononoke um, because I knew what I was getting into with a Miyazaki film and I should have believed in the power that he has because this film is, like I said, visually beautiful. The sound is amazing. The, the, The story 
and the message and the themes in it are just so powerful and the way he's able to like portray those images softly for lack of better words through the story without like just like shoving it down your throat you know portraying those ideas and responsibilities we have in just a beautiful way it's so touching on top of that this was just a lot of fun to enjoy like i just really really was enjoying the world of the valley of the wind and nausicaa and the character she is and all the characters in this story there are just so many things that i just love enjoying of it so far exceeded my expectations that i could have set for it even if i hadn't lowered him from princess mononoke would have blown him out of the water either way so if it isn't obvious by now moving on to pick your poison this film is an obvious buy uh so far it's my favorite miyazaki film obviously one of two that i've seen blue princess mononoke out of the water i keep bringing that up but it's the only thing i have to compare it to because these films are just in their own realm because of how elevated and how different they are um, so yeah, pick your poison. This is a personal rating scale here at the basement binge where our rating is based off how we would kind of treat the film after seeing it initially, whether to never watch it again, which is obviously the lowest ranking it can get to stream it. Meaning if it was on a streaming service, we were already subscribed to or part of, and we were looking for something mindlessly to watch and it was there, we'd throw it on, uh, above that is to rent it, be willing to pay a few bucks to watch it seldomly when you're in the move. And above that is to buy. Pay the full price, don't it digitally or physically, to watch as many times as you want, to share with people those type of things. And obviously, like any Studio Ghibli film, even those I haven't seen, I mean, I bought this movie, The Steelbook, the Blu-ray, before even seeing it, because after seeing Princess Mononoke, my trust in how Miyazaki was so high, I knew I was going to love it before even seeing it. Uh, and I did. And had I seen it and then one, I would have bought it either way. One, because Miyazaki is amazing and I know I'm going to love all of his films. But on top of that, just like the the way that this story is being kind of that sci-fi-ish story uh, makes it even more rewatchable for me because it's just, on top of being a Miyazaki film, it's in the niche interest of films that I have a huge love for. And seeing Nausicaa fly around on her little glider thing, I don't know what it's called, it was just so like uplifting for lack of better words to watch, like just watching it cheered me up, lifted my spirits. It was just so enjoyable. Um, so I know that easily I can come back to this film and just enjoy it and be touched by it and have a great time. Um, and it's interesting because at the same time I was watching this, I had lent my younger brother and younger sister, my Blu-ray of princess Mononoke and told them to watch that. And they, so it was interesting. We came back together. I had watched one Miyazaki film. They had watched another. And I had already seen Princess Mononoke, obviously. And I said about it, they didn't really like it, if it's okay for me to say that. They just like were had a hard time uh, connecting to it. So so let me say that as I'm recommending it to people who have not seen it. This is one of those movies that you like. It's not... How can I say this the right way? It's a film that isn't just entertainment. Like It's definitely entertaining. There's entertaining value in this 100%, uh, but it goes way beyond that. In It's an artist creating a work with a message and a meaning that they're telling through a powerful story and all the tools that film has to, or animation in film has to give to that story they're using to create something just totally incredible. Um, but it's a little difficult to get into because it's very heavy, especially Princess Mononoke, and I didn't realize that. Uh, if I would have could go back again after seeing Nausicaa, I would lend this to my siblings first 
this is a softer introduction to a Miyazaki film. And just because of like the easiness to get into it, because it is like the most hopeful ending, um, especially kind of from what I've seen from the interviews I've been watching about it, it's easily the most rewatchable. Uh, so yeah, anyway, I'm getting distracted. Your Pick Your Poison is obviously 110% a buy, a movie that I know I'm going to love for years and years and years and years. And I'm honestly just want to like rewatch it again. I've been trying to like come up with an excuse to rewatch it. Like, oh, I watched it so long ago for the podcast. I should rewatch it again, but I don't have time for that. Wish I could. Hopefully soon I can because I really, really loved it. So if you haven't seen this film, please go watch it. It's on HBO Max in the US and Netflix everywhere else. Or just go buy it because it's worth it and I know you're going to love it. It's so, so, so good. So, yeah, this is the end of the spoiler wall, meaning if you have not seen this film and you're wanting to avoid spoilers, they are coming. If you have seen it and you're okay, just continue along along with me. But quickly before those spoiler wall people leave, um, I want you... Well, first off, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you listening to the episode, especially if you are new here. And if you want to connect with me, you can check the show notes for all these links that I'm about to mention. But Facebook... Facebook.com slash binge basement, Instagram at the basement binge, and also Podchaser, which I would really appreciate if you could leave a review there. Podchaser.com slash the basement binge, or just search the basement binge on Podchaser. That'd be awesome. Also, in the show notes, there's a survey. And now I'm not going to read the link for that because I don't have 10 years to go through that super long thing. Uh, there's a survey. It's two questions long. I'd really appreciate it if you could take it. Just let me know what you think about the show now that it's changing to a single host show. And what you'd like to see from me moving forward. I am acknowledging the responses. I'm just trying to like work it into this future schedule as I learn. So if you're taking the survey, I am listening. Thank you for taking it. If you haven't, please go take it. It's in the show notes. I'd give you the link, but it's super long. We'd be here for 10 years. Anyway, I didn't mean to take away from the show. Let's continue on to the spoiler fill the next few segments. So binge points. That's the next segment here at the Basement Binge. These are Easter eggs, details, cool things about the film uh, that we noticed. And in a film like this, the things that I binge points that interest me really focus around like the animation and the creativity behind it. I watched like every single bonus feature this thing had on it, uh, which was great. You should do that if you own the Blu-ray and you haven't. Um, read interviews, watched interviews, listened to them. Like I just wanted to soak up all the details about the creative work that went into this film. Um, and I'm a little gray on some of the details because it's been a while, but in essence, Miyazaki, he was working as an, animator I believe so for some studio not Studio Ghibli that didn't exist yet uh, but he was working as an animator and on the side he was writing and drawing a manga for Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind in essence the same type of the same story with the same characters I think it was for like a, a newspaper if I understand right the translation makes it a little bit difficult from Japanese but uh, a newspaper where there was like a, a weekly or daily probably weekly manga um, and then uh, somebody approached him to turn it into a film. And he really wasn't writing. He, he specifically says that he wrote the manga to not be adapted into a film. Like he didn't want it to be turned into a film, um, probably just because he was protective of his work. But he really wanted to get into animation, specifically directing. Uh, so he kind of took the opportunity just because it granted him access to what he wanted. And he created an incredible film from it. Again, this is only his second film and kind of was the starting point of Studio Ghibli. Um, the relationship of Hao Miyazaki and his producer, whose name I'm not even going to try because I'd butcher it. So they went on to animate something beautiful. Um, they ended up using fi 
56,078 traditional animation cells. Uh, so that kind of like, th- that's 56,000 drawings that incredibly talented people by hand drew and put together in a way that is powerful um, and beautiful. There's so many like moments in my head that are just like frozen in there. I just remember being blown a bit away by what someone had drawn. Uh, seriously, it's phenomenal. Um, which is really interesting because on a different side note, there's a new film coming that r- just came out. Uh, Lupin the Third, the first. Uh, I want to get my information right, tell you who it's directed by. Let me look it up here. Barely came to mind. Uh, wow, I'm going to butcher his name. Uh, Takashi Yamazaki. Uh, so he's another famous uh, Japanese animator. And this is... So Lupin the Third was a film directed way back before Nausicaa by Hawamizaki, and it's a traditional 2D animation. Well, this new film that's coming out this year directed by Ta- Takasha, Takashi... Sorry for mispronouncing the name. It's a 3D animation. And I was reading an interview that he had about kind of like trying to live up to Howie Miyazaki's legend, specifically in animation and Miyazaki's feeling towards 3D animation, which he's been a little bit vocal against um, because of his love for uh, 2D animation, which in the interview, uh, Yamazaki, if I'm saying his name right, was talking about the difference between the way it works in 2D and 3D animation way beyond like the animation process and more of just like the film story process. and I'm not an animator at 2D or 3D, so I don't know. I'm just kind of like taking the information I read from all these interviews and how articulate, for lack of better words, Miyazaki has to be in thinking how one thing leads into another and how they directly connect. Because I, like I, I think of it like a flip book, if you guys know what they are, where you like rub the pages super fast and it makes like a little animation. He really has to think about how like one drawing leads into another um, so complexly and, and there's already like that single cell that he's drawing is so important the way that it will make the next thing and, and like trying to take that mindset of taking 56,000 one at a time drawings one leading into another would be so different trying to put it in a, th- a, a 3D film I don't remember where I was going with that I got so distracted uh, anyway it's just interesting to think about like the amount of work that went into physically drawing 56,000 drawings, but then also with the directorial vision to understand how you wanted characters to move and how their mouse would move and, and how the story would progress and how each drawing led into another. It's just incredible foresight um, to guide, I don't know how many animators there were to do that. Um, and it is amazing in the way it creates a story visually through the continual animation, which looks amazing. Um, particularly the flying sequences. Anytime Nausicaa gets on the glider or they're in a plane, the flying is just beautiful to watch. I just, oh, it's so amazing. And the sound design is for her little glider thing is even better. It just is an incredible combination that's just, oh, it's just amazing. Just perfection right there. I just loved every second of it. Every time she got on a glider. Yeah. Anyway, the, there were just so many like that moments where I was just like, breathtaking Uh, one in particular is when the giant warrior kind of comes forth and he shoots like his giant laser beam thing and blows up some of the ohms and it's just like just like the 
colors and the explosions and like the movement of it all. And like thinking about people having to draw it, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is just incredible. I don't know. I could talk visually about the talent of these animators and these artists forever. Um, you know, the opening scene with the falling spores as Nausicaa is sitting on top of that ohm. What an opening that was. I, that was like, oh, I just knew I was in for a treat visually as that film started. It's so amazing. The other thing that I really want to talk about uh, is voice acting. Spur- words. Specifically, the English voice acting, which I would actually recommend. I, I'm not anybody who has anything new to say about the conversation between sub versus dub. And I'm definitely not experienced in either of those realms to give any in- intellectual thoughts about it. Uh, I love movies that are dubbed. I have no problem with them. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, but in this case, I watched the sub, meaning that English voice actors are voice acting over what's originally animated for Japanese. So looking at this more, the, the history of Miyazaki's work coming to the West, specifically the U.S., has been a really sad and difficult one where, where people, studios, I'm going to say, really kind of like ruined this man's work um, to the point where when they were being approached to translate Princess Mononoke and have it released in the U.S., the, I believe it was the producer... I'm, I'm, my facts are all gray because um, this is these aren't in my notes. It's all just like coming to mind. Um, the, the film that was like the first film, it wasn't Nausicaa. I don't remember what it Maybe it was Nausicaa. There, oh, okay. I've got all my facts mixed up. Let me try this again. So Nausicaa originally was adapted into this story like the Wind Valley or something, like Warrior of the Wind or something like that, like something atrocious. And it was cut and edited and like 25 minutes of the film were cut off. Um, and like really changed the meaning and the message of it. And how Miyazaki has spoken out multiple times about how he wants any viewer of it to like just erase that from their mind. Horrible experience he had. Uh, and I don't know if it was that film or another film that was released and like cut and totally changed because of the way they edited it. And they just didn't like that. So time came for Princess Mononoke. I believe it was Disney. I don't remember who. It doesn't matter. They were trying to release it in the US and have English voice actors and and all those things and they did not want it cut that the producer Miyazaki's producer said a katana like engraved into the katana it said no cuts and sent that to whoever the producers were in the US producing it probably Disney John Lasseter I think it was too many facts in my head anyway it finally came time around where this film had originally been released with different voice actors like way back um English voice actors is what I'm talking about. And in 2005, this version that I would release, the Disney sub, or the Disney dub, sorry, I probably said that backwards a few times. The Disney dub was released in 2005. Um, Okay, this is horrible. I should have had my notes. I did not have these things in my notes to read, so now I'm getting different notes that I had. Uh, interesting okay too much in my brain I'm trying to work through okay whatever that was a pointless thing because my notes aren't helpful because my brain's so scattered 2005 this film was released in the English dub translation with new voice actors 
And the voice actors I got, I was amazed by when I was researching. I mean, obviously I heard them, but before I watched the film, I just saw that these actors were connected to it. Uh, to name a few, Patrick Stewart, uh, Mark Hamill. Those are two big names, particularly in like the voice acting region. They did phenomenal. And kind of knowing the nightmare that happened with Princess Mononoke and trying to get that translated to English, I was not expecting like the the love or like appreciation in preserving Miyazaki's film and his vision, his art through talented and accurate voice actors and an accurate translation. Like I, I was expecting it to be another nightmare. And at some point it came a lot easier and, and, and whoever was in charge of it really respected his work and got really talented voice actors to have really talented voice acting this amazing in this film. I mean, it's particularly Shia LaBeouf. He's much younger than he is now. Obviously, this is way back in 2005. But I don't, I'm not aware of any other voice acting he's done. And he needs to do more. He is so talented at voice acting. If this is his first, this is even more impressive. Really, he comes in very late into the film. And his voice just like stole the show. And I mean, I just kind of like him as an, as an actor already. And he has a recognizable and good voice. But the way that he uses his voice to add to the depth of the character that he portrays is even better. Like it, it's, it's like a, a childish maturity for lack of better words. Uh, yeah, we need more shy of voice acting, please. Who's ever in charge of that. If you're listening, well, thanks for being here, but get more shy of voice acting. He's so talented at it. Um, obviously I don't need to say this. Patrick Stort is phenomenal. Uh, really just like the perfect casting for the role of Yupa. He, he, Patrick Stort is perfect for Yupa. Uh, Mark Hamill in like the, I'd almost call it a cameo. Like he's there for like two seconds. He's great. He like just, I like, I saw he was connected to the film and then I was like waiting for him to show up and he like shows up and then he's gone. But like he steals the show when he's there. That, I mean, his voice acting is phenomenal. Mark Hamill's. So I was just really surprised and impressed to see the talent and like the work and the appreciation and, and the respect for Miyazaki's art in preserving really great voice acting. Um, and it really pays off. And i as I learned, other films, as they were released, came out more efficiently. Not efficient. That's the wrong word. More, more better. Yeah, that's great, Harrison. Um, it, it, the process of preserving the vision that Miyazaki had and like talented voice acting and having actual talent in it obviously wanna, went a lot better as it progressed. And now we have these great films with actually like apparently Christian Bale and other heavy hitter actors coming into voice act for these films, which I just was expecting all of them to be a big nightmare. And it's good that Miyazaki was able to have his art preserved um, and appreciated and respected. So yeah, those are kind of all the binge points I had. I watched a ton of interviews about it and it's just like amazing to see the love that the people had for this film. Now, uh, I should have wrote her name down because I'm going to get it wrong. Oh, yeah. Before we move on from the, the, the voice acting, uh, I already mentioned Shia LaBeouf. Uma Thurma's in it. Allison Lohman, who is the voice for Nausicaa. Holy moly, she blows it out of the park. She is so talented. I have no idea who she is. Maybe I do, but I've never really, like, in, no, knowingly been exposed to her in anything, voice acting or physical acting. She's phenomenal. Like, oh, my gosh. She was so good as Nausicaa. Anyway, wow, that voice crack and all. Anyway, those are all my binge points. So I want to also mention something new here super quick before we move on to the other segments. 
as the show is changing and it's just me being here, which has been a ton of fun, the binge points are a lot less because it's just one person noticing things in a film. And a lot of these times when I'm just watching it once, it's hard for me to notice everything. So I'd love to include your bench points, things you want to notice, details about the film or things, little Easter eggs that you love or behind the, th- behind the scenes details that you love. So the next episode is Howl's Moving Castle. Um, I'm going to post on both the Facebook, Instagram uh, about specifically Howl's Moving, Howl's Moving Castle before it comes out that you can go comment on any type of bench point that you had. Just let me know as a bench point and I'll include it in the next show and I'm going to continue to do that if it's successful for the next few shows. I'm pretty excited about it. If you're not on social media, you can also email me if that's what you're into. Harrison at thebasementbinge.com. That's H-A-R-R-I-S-O-N at thebasementbinge.com. Send me an email. Let me know what's about your binge points. I'll include it in the next show for How's Moving Castle. Again, all the links that you need to do any of this, it's in the show notes, of course. Anyway, enough boring announcements. On to the next segment, least and likes. Least favorite scene? Favorite scene. Cop out, not even hiding it. Don't have a least favorite scene. Like, this film is perfect for me and my taste. I cannot say enough about it. My favorite if it's not obvious, is Nausicaa flying. Any moment she's on her glider, any moment they're in the air, I just love to watch. Um, and that, just like the, the joy that I experience. I'm not a pilot. I don't know what it's like to fly. Uh, but the joy and like the euphoric feeling I had just watching an animation of a cartoon fly. It, I don't know. It was just amazing how much I enjoyed it. Um, if I picked a different favorite scene that's like like more impactful, I'm not going to pick a different one because I love that one. I'm and I'm not going to shy away from it. It's an amazing moment every time she's on her glider. Particularly like the the order's kind of getting mixed up in my head, but she's like I think it's like one of the first times she gets on it and she like gets on it and like pops up the little foot lever and pushes it down and I can like hear the noises in my head and see it and then the lighter the glider like lights up and she shoots off into the sky. I could watch that on repeat forever. Anyway, finally, on to probably this is going to be the best part of this whole podcast, Fall In. So this is where I dive into or fall into the meanings, the messages, the themes that these Miyazaki films are perfect to dissect. But we try to do it in every film, um, or I try to, to find those meanings that are hidden in these pop culture things. Now, Miyazaki is perfect at this. He is an artist creating art with a message, and it's He's so talented at it and they're wonderful messages and they're very mature and realistic and they're not afraid to say what they're saying, but they're hopeful. They're heavy, but they're hopeful. So let me share you a little experience that I had and actually one, the reason that this show, this particular episode was delayed. Um, so like three days before, okay, wow. Let me back up a little bit. Every single year since I was like eight years old, my younger brother, my dad, and I have gone out to um, this wonderful place in Utah called Grouse Creek. Now, I was a little hesitant to share the name of that, and I'll get to that in a second, but we would go with my uncle and his son and my grandpa, and we'd go out to Grouse Creek. And what Grouse Creek is, is this this place in Utah that is literally the middle of nowhere. Um, like It's like a two-and-a-half, almost three-hour drive from any type of civilization. Like there, there's a little small town called Snowville that's just right outside of Idaho if you're like familiar with that area. It is literally 100 miles from Snowville. 
And Snowville's puny already. They've got like a gas station in there and that's it. Anyway, this this place is puny. There's maybe like 100 people total. That, okay, maybe like 200. that live in Grouse Creek. Anyway, my great-great-grandparents homesteaded there. My great-grandma, she grew up in the house there. And so it's just like family property that's been in the family forever. So I've always just grown up going there during the summer, particularly this time of year um, on a deer hunt, specifically with my kind of like a guy's trip. My dad, my brother, my uncle, my grandpa, and my cousin. And I look forward to it anywhere. I haven't been to Grouse Creek in like four years. It's been a really, really long time. So like two days before my dad and my brother decided that they were going, my uncle, he goes every year. They called me up like, hey, we're going to Grouse Creek. You want to come? And I was like, well, I'm about to start like the busiest time of year I've ever had at work where I'm working tons of overtime, but I'm going to go. Like I'm going to make it work. Um, and it was difficult and I didn't. I had to drive by myself in the dark and it was super lonesome, but and I miss my wife while she was gone with her family. She was nice enough to let me go. But anyway, I finally made it out there. And I was there for like two and a half days and then I had to drive home. Uh, and it was like some of the best two and a half days that I've ever been. Uh, so let me tell you a little bit about Grouse Creek. It's, like I said, it's in the middle of nowhere. There's no phone service out there. You're in the wilderness. You're in the sagebrush, the dirt. There's not any paved roads. Uh, people out there are farmers and ranchers. They're, they're out in nature working hard every day. Um, and we're out there camping. We're sleeping in tents. We're hanging out around the fire. We're going up on the mountain and hiking off. Just, I mean, when I say hiking, I'm not talking about like on the trail, like just kind of like wandering through the wilderness, through forests and sagebrush and hills and mountains. And it's, and it's beautiful out there. Um, I never appreciated the beauty as much as I did this year. Anyway, that was the experience. We wake up super early in the morning, like way before the sun gets up, drive up on the mountain and then get out and hike. And like, there's just, as it's a hunt, there's a lot of sitting and waiting. There's a lot of sitting and, and patience and quietness. And you're not talking and joking around. You don't have a phone going off. You're not distracted. You're watching the wilderness. Um, it's just a, a, an incredible experience. So I had that experience. And then I had to leave and drive home on my own. And right before I was leaving, I was talking to my cousins. We were all there together. And we were saying how when you leave a vacation, any kind of vacation. It's always a bummer to go back to reality. Like, oh man, here comes responsibility. Here comes stress. Like, relaxing's over. It's kind of a bummer. Specifically, leaving Grouse Creek, though, is like even worse than that. Like, unimaginably worse because the level of, and just the environment, the level of relaxation I'm able to experience in Grouse Creek is unlike anywhere else, unlike any other vacation. Um, and I got really emotional and cried on my way home as I was alone in my car because of like the release that I experienced there um, and how I knew I, that wouldn't, that isn't a sustainable way to live my life, sadly, uh, but it's a reality of it. And I was driving home and I was think, already thinking about the things I needed to do, thinking about how the Nausicaa podcast was delayed. And then I started to think about the film Nausicaa and particularly how Nausicaa lives in the film and, and what she fights for, how she fights for, peace between nature and humanity. Um, but more so than that, um, and as kind of leaning a bit more into Princess Mononoke's territory, territory, but more so than that, it's like unity between, just like unity, not between anything, just unity. Um, and I really felt like I experienced that. And like, there's definitely like the environmental thing about existing in harmony with the world around you and the nature around you, and the environment, and all the ways that we need to respect and honor that. Um, 
but it was it was it was something more than that that I particularly felt connected to, and that, that that's just the unity that Nausicaa fights for. Like it's just a selfless devotion and love for everybody, even people that are different than her. Whether it's an ohm that's like a giant bug, or another human being, or like some warlord that's in, totally invaded her her little valley and has taken everything over. Like like she doesn't harbor horrible feelings against any of them. Like she treats everybody with so much empathy and so much respect and love. Um, and it creates like a lot of unity that I really experienced while I was out there. Um, and it's an experience that's really hard to put into words. Um, but if you've had an experience like that, and hopefully me sharing mine has helped you recall yours, like there's just a power that comes in having unity with those and the world around you. It's a powerful thing. And it's an amazing thing that we need a lot more. And a lot of that just comes from empathy, um, from selflessly giving to other people. Um, and there's a line that Nausicaa says to one of the ohms, and I'm not going to get it word for word, but something like, I can't ask for your forgiveness. We've done too much wrong or like, that's wrong. Um, which is just like a maturity to respect and understand like the work that a, an apology and forgiveness is like you, you can't just like do wrong to people and then just be like, oh, I'm sorry and everything's okay. Like, like there's a level of empathy and understanding the hurt and difficulty that you caused said thing in asking for forgiveness. Um, and definitely something as I'm saying this, I realize I need to do way better at. I'm sure my wife's maybe listening in the background saying, like, yeah, Harrison, you need to be way better at that. Well, and, and it's true, I do. Um, I, I was about to get into some personal, I won't. It's, there's just a level of empathy in recognizing others and what they're experiencing and how you have a relationship to cause that and to prevent it. And it, just like a new maturity and awareness of how to exist with one another in harmony that takes a lot of selfless devotion and like a lot of foresight and a lot of commitment. Like Nausicaa commits to this in the way that she studies the earth and learns things out, the way she observes things, the way she slows down to be aware of things and to analyze it and to understand the processes and the work that was put in to get to that process and not just like taking things immediately for granted, um, but understanding like the work emotionally and physically that has to exist in our environment, whether that's with animals and, and ohms or with ourselves and with one another. And Nausicaa, if you've read the book Dune, she reminds me a lot of Light Kinds who's an awesome character, um, but just like the ability to have a foresight and understanding above what other people do and to selflessly work towards that, but also to be able to incredibly like inspire others to follow that level of like, that level of vision of, of like prophecy for lack of better words, like the, the level foresight. The ability to see things in a way that others don't and to be able to lead others to follow that through her own example um, that Light Kinds does as well. It's just like, those are amazing leaders. Those are amazing individuals. Um, and I hope that in some way, I can be one of those people to like understand the, tra tra understand the tra trajectory of choices and being able to lead people in the right trajectory. Um, and it's way beyond our relationship with nature, but just our relationship with other. And, and the evil we have to fight against, which is our own selfish, like our own human selfishness, our own greed, 
that's really what we're we're fighting against. Um, oh, here we go. I should have looked at my notes when I was searching for war. Nausicaa really is like a divine messenger seen above and beyond what the majority of people seen, working towards it, understanding it, learning about it, and leading other people to do the same thing through her own example. Really amazing. So the freedom to work together is something that we should fight for. And, and that's kind of what I got out of it. Way beyond, I mean, the environmental thing is great and working together with the environment. Yeah, they're not two separate things. It's one idea. The freedom to work together in unity goes with other people we may be working with or the environment and the ohms, so to speak, around us. So an amazing film that really, really touched me, um, especially visually, but was a lot of fun to dive into. And I cannot wait to get into more of Miyazaki's film. Sadly, I only have a few more in my personal collection at the time that I'm going to be able to get into scheduling and all things like that with a podcast. But yeah, we're going to get to them all eventually. But wow, amazing director, amazing artists, amazing animators, everybody involved, amazing film. And glad I finally saw it. Top of the list so far was Studio Ghibli. Uh, great film. Anyway, so yeah, that's, that's been the Basement Binge review of Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Exceptional film. Really appreciate it. And if you are new here, if this is your first pod episode of the Basement Binge, thank you so much for being here. Uh, if you're a returning listener, thank you as well. If you enjoyed it, I would really, really love it if you could leave a review on Podchaser. Again, that's podchaser.com slash the basement binge or just search the basement binge on Podchaser. Leave a review. You can leave it on this specific episode if you want. I'd appreciate it. Give me comments, improvements. Uh, get your binge point details in for Howl's Moving Castle coming up next. Social media, Instagram at the basement binge and the Facebook group, facebook.com slash basement binge. All, or you can even email me if you're on, again, mentioning my email, harrison at thebasementbinge.com, H-A-R-R-I-S-O-N. All of these things listed in the show notes. Uh, appreciate you being here. There's also that survey that the link I'm not going to read because it's 10 years long, if you remember. Let me know how you want to see the show continue now that it's down to one. Uh, but it's been a ton of fun to record these episodes and to learn how to do it on my own and also to like appreciate things more individually, even though I just talked about unity. Uh, it's interesting and the relationship between those two things. I'm rambling at this point. It's really late at night. I don't even know what I'm saying. Thank you for listening. I should probably stop before I drive myself off a cliff here. Appreciate listening here. Again, How's a Moving Castle coming very, very soon. Get your binge points in on social media. Thanks for listening to The Basement Binge. That's all for now. Ciao, ciao. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.